You know, um, I, rarely does anybody see my notes, because to be honest, there's, there's not much to see. Uh, but if you could see them, there's no introduction this week. I struggled all week to find an introduction. Well, today, Karen and I made a visit over in South Boston, and, and um, we, were, we were on our way back here right before the service started, and we, we pull up behind this car, and it has... Uh, has a bumper sticker that says atheist in large print and then under in small print says there's nothing else and uh i'll tell you as a husband uh, i i was delighted in that moment because my wife got a little weepy she really genuinely felt for that person she thought and i think she said how sad how sad and I, I had a different reaction. Uh, we usually do, especially when there's tears involved. I, I thought how utterly silly to even take an honest look at this world and have some notion that there's nothing else. And I just began to make a list of things that if you had ever taken a look at, you would have to say there's something else. And if you really take an honest look, you wouldn't say something else. You would say someone else right a personality and uh it was great it was great to see my wife have a genuine lament if this person would brag about being an atheist you know i i got sort of snarky she she got sad i would say in the moment she was a much better christian no doubt well tonight tonight we're looking at one of those passages that, for me, absolutely helped to dismiss any notion whatsoever that God asked us to have blind faith, because he just doesn't. Now, when you, when you first have, have, begin to have any sort of thoughts about God, you may have very simple thoughts like, yeah, God exists, in the same way that it's often very easy to get children to think, uh, the things we get them to think around this time of the year. Boy, I just started walking on thin cracked glass. In nominee apothecary, Phileas. Okay, all right, I'm, I'm delivered now. Okay. But as we begin to mature, we might have some pretty deep questions. Like, if, if there's a God, why is there this? And how do you explain that? And for many of us, the gap of belief grows and grows. And pretty soon, if someone were to say to us, you just have to have blind faith, it would almost make sense to us. Our questions have made the gap grow. I, I, I might be the only one that experienced this, but I, I doubt it. But that's what I experienced. My questions took away my naivete and my simplicity, and they begged for a more complex view of the world and it almost seemed like when you look at all the meanness and wickedness and evil in the world, perhaps no God could make sense. But I want to be honest, I dismissed that notion pretty quickly. I think when I was around in the fifth or sixth grade, I saw a, an image of a snowflake under a microscope, and all, all possibilities of me being an atheist were dismissed in that moment. Just to be honest, I was like, no. This is too well designed. This is too well ordered. It was designed and ordered, and it fell from a raging windy sky and kept its form. 
Wow. Because he's the God of the winds, right? So my atheism was dismissed, but my road to belief was rugged. But here's what God did over the course of some years. He made that gap smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, while I, fairly young, decided I didn't have enough faith to be an atheist, somebody ought to say amen, I just didn't have enough faith to believe me an atheist. It took, it took some questions getting answered for me to be a full-bore disciple of Jesus. And so tonight, it's one of these passages that really is one of my all-time favorites because not only does it answer some of those gap-closing questions, it also invites me in relationally. In other words, hey, Tim, I'm answering your good questions, but not so you can become a trivia machine, but so that you can become a son. I'm dealing with you because I want you in my family. And this was one of those passages that closed the gap and invited me to the table. So tonight, if you have your Bibles, I pray you'll find Galatians chapter 4. And if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, we're going we're gonna to put it up on the screen and uh, very happily have it there for you. It looks like if you were preaching, you would already turned that place in your Bible, but duh, I didn't. Galatians 4, beginning at verse number 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Father, as we look into this passage, more importantly, would you look into us? And Father, I would humbly ask you to close that gap for some, strengthening faith, answering questions. But even more than that, would you give us a childlike awe and trust so that above our academic questions, we might simply hear a father's voice calling to children's ears. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. Now, Galatians is one of these books that it's almost hard not to preach the whole book. If you open it anywhere, it's so interconnected, it's almost mind-boggling. I'll just say this simple thing. Uh, the gospel had come to the people in the regions of Galatia, or as some people say, Galatia. Um, I don't know how to say it. I think it's Galatia. Who cares? Somebody say amen. Oviando. And they had believed on the gospel with the sort of simplicity that God had sent his Messiah, and this Messiah had done this work, and this work was enough, was necessary and sufficient to cover the sins of mankind, and that if you would, by faith, believe on the one God sent, then you would be forgiven, accepted, adopted, and acquitted. And then some folks, we'll call them what they were, Judaizers. Now, that has come to mean an ugly word. 
Well, we have Judaizers in our midst, even today. Uh, We just don't usually see them in the brand name of the Jewish faith. We generally see them as legalists in our midst. People who would say, great, you believed on Jesus, but you need something else. In those days, they might have been going around to those those Greek men, uh, those those Asia Minor folks, and saying, <clears throat> you know, you believe on Jesus, that's great, but do you turn off all the lights Friday at sundown? Do you sit around and observe the Sabbath? Uh, <clears throat> have you visited your local men's physician specialist and had your parts investigated? If you don't know what I mean, see a smart-looking person after church. Like I've always said, I'm so glad we don't have a committee for that because I would wind up on it, and I do not want to check out the legalities. Amen? Some of them might have questioned the dress, like what they were wearing. Some other common objections would have been the type of food they were eating. Like this could have literally happened. Wait a minute. You say you're following God? Why are you eating a BLT? At which point, there would have been a fight. Because I got to have that B. You can get rid of that L and that T. But you got to give me that B and that Dukes. I'm going to have that bacon. I even wrote a song about it. It's called, Thank God I'm a Gentile. Or there might have been some question about the marketplaces where Certain foods were acquired from. In other words, they came in and said, great, you have Jesus. Do you have these other rules? Now, what do we see in our midst like that today? Great, you have Jesus. Do you have the right translation of the Bible? Because surely we all know Jesus himself spoke 1611 English. Amen? Or someone might say, uh, Hey, girls, what are you doing wearing these pants? I mean, it's not an, it's not an advertisement to go pantless. <laughs> Praise God. Right? Or we might have people say even sillier things like, can you really have long hair, men, and be a Christian? Women, can you really cut your hair or leave it dangling down? We see these legalisms everywhere, and the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to these believers, and it really needs to be mentioned. He's saying, hey, if Jesus wasn't enough, God would have never prescribed Jesus. Jesus is enough. And God simply was not replacing the covenants. He, were, he was fulfilling them, bringing them to their sensible fruition. He was giving us a salvation that he had worked and that we could not unwork. We could not work for it or unwork his working. So in that tonight, where we pick up right in the middle of a discussion, when they originally wrote this, we didn't have these chapters and numbers. And I want to say, I thank God. Amen. I thank God that somebody put these chapters and numbers. Amen. It's so easy to find things in the Bible. Hallelujah. But this is one of them places where I, I would jap slap the person who, who split this passage up right here. I probably wouldn't, but I would think about it. 
we picked it up right in the middle of a passage where he had been saying, now, now listen, listen. If you got Jesus, you're not only saved, but you're in the family of God. In other words, let's take this up another step. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is different than a slave. In other words, you've been brought into the family and you've matured to a place where God is handing you the treasure of the family. And that's where we pick up this story. So tonight, let me share three big thoughts and a couple of smaller ones inside of each of these. First, this passage tells us that the law worked as God's foster system and a regent until the legalities of adoption should come to fruition and the spiritual minor comes of age. In essence, that's a lot. You should write it down and think about it and pour back through the verses. You should think about it and you should, you should realize that in Christ Jesus, what he was telling the Jewish people and anyone else who had believed on some rules in some religion, he is saying, listen, those rules might have helped you get out of your knee-high britches, but to come into the family of God, it's time to put away the elementary school stuff and come on and be a young man or a young woman. Come on and take up your place in the faith. And Jesus himself is meant to deliver you there. I could tell you all kinds of things about how the Romans viewed minors and how the Jews viewed minors. But let me tell you these two cool little factoids. The Jews really saw it as an age. I guarantee you watched some movie or television show where somebody was celebrating a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. And there's some argument in the Jewish community, does that happen at 12 years old or 13 years old? I don't know, it happens. But the Roman people, the Roman people would would basically say, you a man when we tell you, you a man. Uh, there's no specific age, right? Uh, when, 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 your daddy, when your daddy says, boy, it's time for you to be a man, it's time for you to be a man. That's the way the Romans worked it. And then they would have a big party. And they would go, look, he's a man. Imagine, imagine, imagine what our culture would look like if we didn't attach things like driving a car or being able to legally smoke a cigarette to some sort of maturity. Imagine if there was a maturity that was linked to an utter change in lifestyle, a change in privilege, a change in responsibility. Imagine what American adults would look like if they actually had to be adults and not just turn 16, 18, 21. That was the Roman system. You're a man when we tell you you're a man. And if you keep acting like a boy, we're going to treat you like a boy. Jewish folks says, we're not going to let you stay a boy or a little girl. You're behind around 12 or 13. You're going to grow up. Hallelujah. I think I want to be Romish. I kind of like both systems. Or maybe I want to be Juman. I like it. I like this idea that there's this point where responsibility and recognition is given, and you're a man. What Paul was saying was the best that the law could ever do was help you get to the place where it was time to grow up. It was to teach you a few things. Now, I I don't know, not that I think going to college is, is, is the biggest thing in the world, but I recently talked to a college professor And they said what has radically changed in the last 20 years is they assume that the first year of college 
is finishing up the last three years of high school. Students don't know grammar, they don't know how to write, they don't know how to manage their studies. And so they just say this first year of college is just going to break you away from being a high school kid and to being a college learner. And they said, and this college professor told me, if they don't take courses with rigor, they graduate exactly like they come in. A high schooler that just knows a little bit more. And I thought, wow, I said, I'm going to use that in a sermon illustration. What Paul was saying is a list of do's and don'ts. At best, at best, at best, this list of do's and don'ts was preparing you to have a relationship with God where you walked according to his heart. Let me, let me show you this. If you back up into Galatians 3 just a little bit, Galatians 3.26 says this. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all what? How? Okay. So maybe, maybe you don't know anymore, but you believe on Jesus. And so you get adopted by believing on Jesus. And now you're not under the care of a set of rules, which were your guardian or your foster care system. You are under the direct tutelage of the master himself. Isn't that cool? And he's not testing you out. He adopts you and leads you. You see how cool this is? And then look at Galatians 3.29. Okay? And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, I get really excited about a word in Galatians 3.29. Does anybody want to take a guess what word I get really excited about? Heirs. So he's saying, we have stuff to share with you. And what was promised to your forefathers, you now share in because you're part of the family. It's not about a list of rules to try to teach you some order, some discipline, some do's, some don'ts. You're in the family, and your Savior will lead you to, to accept, receive, and deploy all the family's business. That is so cool. That's so cool. Like right now, I don't really have any written rules at my house, but if you were to come to visit, you know, uh, you would know some of the unwritten rules. Like unwritten rule number one, don't be acting a fool at my house. Now, you might learn this rule by starting to act a fool. Then I'm going to have to say, you're breaking the rule. Okay? And there, there's some things I don't like, like I really don't like, Okay? I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm just being honest. I don't like it when people, <clears throat> let's see. I don't like it when, when people sit at my table and uh, forget where they are. You know you, you know, you get this. I've been working with teenagers for a long time. Let's just say when they deploy certain sound effects. See, now, I, I thought when you come here, you already had some ABC learning, some elementary learning. And I didn't need to tell you that, but let's say you make that mistake. Well, you're going to find out I have a rule about that. Here's the rule. Don't do that. Amen? Or, or some people, they'll come to your house and they'll put your shoes on your furniture. Now, I know my furniture's secondhand, but it was never first foot. Now, if you're going to do it, you got to be like Carson Tuck. Carson Tuck, he will come to my house and take a nap. But he got sense enough to take his shoes off before he lays down. 
Am I making sense to anybody? I bet you most all of y'all have these rules. If you don't have that second rule, we need to talk. Especially before you come to my house. <laughs> listen. Listen. So it would be one thing, it would be one thing for me, for you to come to my house and you to get along long enough to be there and leave. It would be radically different if we opened all the doors, if we opened all the storehouses and said wholeheartedly, make yourself at home. Do you not see, dear brothers and sisters, that in Christ Jesus, that's exactly what the Father has done? Now, <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but do you think it's, don't answer this because somebody's going to get mad. Do you think it's crazy when somebody comes to your house visiting and they just open up the cabinets and the refrigerators and stuff? Or is that just me? I ain't saying who else said yes, but it was Matt Cole. Um, Matt, me and you together at least. I, I didn't say it was you. I just told him it was you. Now, I don't ever say anything, but it throws me off a little bit. I'm like, hey, you saw they had a door on it, right? See, this is the point where my daddy would say, make yourself at home. Just remember you ain't. Am I making sense to anybody in here what Paul is trying to convey in a very country boy way? I want you to see he's saying these rules kept you sort of ill at ease because you always had to be learning how far you could go and how far you couldn't go. I'm telling you in Christ Jesus, you're accepted. Now, it also makes me think of Galatians 3, 24 and 25, which say this. So then the law was our what, church? Guardian. Until what? Now, I want you to see something. What's happened is Christ has taken over. It's not about fretting over the rules, okay? It's about walking with the Savior. Now, I want to tell you, he's got rules. Somebody ought to say amen. But it's learning how to learn the true spirit of the law through the one who is the truth and the law. In other words, no one's going to teach you better than Jesus would teach you. Now, why? Why did he come? He came, why, church, read it together, in order that what? Might be justified by faith. So did the law ever justify? No. Christ justifies. How can we take part of that justification by faith? But now, verse 25 says, faith has come. We are no longer what? Okay, so in a silly way, we might say, your hind parts needs to graduate. In Christ, you move up. And you don't go to the wall to see the rules. You sit at the feet of the master. It's relational. It's a radical switch and I'll even tell you that some other places in the Bible, I'm not going to go there, but some of the other places in the Bible, like Colossians chapter 2 speaks on this very clearly. It actually says, when you just teach people to follow these elementary principles, or the Bible, some translations call them elemental principles. When you teach people to just to fearfully walk by these basic rules only, what you're doing is you're leading people astray. It's a false teaching because what you're doing is you're teaching them to walk by their own wisdom and strength, not walk in the grace of Jesus. So, I would say, I would say the law is a wonderful foster system. The law is a wonderful regent. 
And you might want to know what a regent is. Just think about somebody who becomes a king when they're too, or queen when they're too young to rule themselves. They'll put some people over top of them until they get old enough to assume the rule. The law is a regent. Now, like with my kids, they're, they're, well, they're young, beautiful women now, 23 and 20. But when they were little, thank God, I'm kind of scary. One of my favorite stories, this is one of Brett Carver's favorite stories, is I was in a rush one day, and Katie's playing with a balloon, and I, and, and I, and I just said, get that balloon out of here. And, she, and I was scared her to death, you know, and I was like, that, that balloon's going to get wrapped around the fan, stop the fan up, catch your fan on fire, burn the house down. This is what Kate, she was a little bitty. Rachel wasn't even born. She's like this. I didn't realize how much she was listening until some years later, Rachel let loose a balloon in the house, and Katie freaked out. She imitated me to the T. What are you doing? You're going to burn the house down. <laughs> then you see, I gave her an elementary principle. Don't burn the house down. Praise God. Now, I live in a neighborhood. One time, my, my neighbor knocked on my house, my door at midnight because their house was burning to the ground. So we've seen it, <laughs> right? Right. But now I don't have to say anything, right? Katie just holds her balloons. <laughs> She's all grown up. We have one room in our house, two, if you count the restroom, that doesn't have a, a ceiling fan in it. And if we really want to let go of our balloons, we're going to let them go in that one room. It's sort of like the balloon corral. I don't even have to tell them. Keep your balloons in the balloon corral. They know it. They've grown up. They learned to walk with me, and they didn't have to be guarded by the balloon rule. They also don't want the house to burn down. Thank God. Secondly, quickly, and this is, this is the part where the gap. I want you to start to see in that first part where the invitation starts to come to my heart. God wants me in the family. God saves me to be in the family. God saves me to put me on mission in the family. God saves me to share the bankroll of the family. On and on and on. Isn't that good, right? Here's one of these gap-narrowing things for me. At the exact moment of God's providential choosing, God sovereignly acts to bring forth the Messiah and open the season of, good, of the good news. Now, this, this right here, when I began to just really look at the book of Galatians, there were two things that just hit me like a sledgehammer between my eyes. One is I'm a bit of a history nerd. I, I, I really like history. And I thought, man, and you know, I thought this like I'm the only person who had ever had this thought in my life. This is how stupid I can be. I was like, wow, what a great time for Jesus to be born. There was basically a worldwide peace. Roads were being made and paved. The commerce system was great. They were coming up with a common language for everyone. Wow, just, man, what, what, how smart was God? And I was like, good job, God. Way to go. You know, when I realized how silly and immature that was, I, I think I heard God giggling, maybe. Might have been a thunderstorm, might have been God giggling. But, but isn't that true? What a better time on the face of the planet in the history of man than that moment, in that place, in that space, with that scene. You know, and, and not only that, not only that, but we should also mention this, that Gaius Octavius, also known as what, church? Caesar Augustus, who ordered the 
census that brought Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to, did y'all know he was an adopted kid too? Just a cool little irony. He also was adopted by Julius Caesar. Isn't that cool? Anyway, during the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, not only were people behaving civilized, language was also being codified so that there was a common language broader than ever in history before. And so travel was freer and easier. Communication was freer and easier. It's the fullness of time. And it wasn't that God picked the best moment. God cultivated the best moment. His sovereignty cultivated. His providence provided for it. And in this moment, the Messiah is born. As we saw last week in Luke chapter 2, that he, this, this, this child was born in a particular place, in the city of David. He was born at a particular time, on that day. This tells me that there's an insurmountable amount of details that could be managed by even the best storytellers. God made this happen. So imagine, imagine I'm studying this, and I was. And uh, this is my non-footnoted Bible. This is my preaching Bible. Large print, non-footnoted. But I'll never forget sitting at our kitchen table. Remember that, that old 50s kitchen table we used to have, Care? Now I'm sitting at that table, and I'm looking up every cross-reference and every footnote. And it sends me over to Daniel chapter 9. Let's look at Daniel chapter 9. It's small. Maybe you can't read it. It says there 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to what? Sin. And to atone for iniquity. In other words, God's putting a timetable on when the Messiah would come. Now, we could read all of this, and you, you should, and you, you should make it, but I just noticed the time. L let me say this. There are three ways to look at this passage, and I'm going to tell y'all, this captured my heart all the way back in the late 90s. This just captured my heart. Some people would say that this passage is about one of those Greek leaders that came after uh, Alexander the Great, Epiphanes IV. Um, some people would say this is about, this is just figurative language saying it's going to be some time. And some people would say that what they mean is 70 times seven. That's what they say it means. 70 times seven is what, y'all? 490. 490. That Carolina education is finally coming through, Casey. You got it. Well, you know, I'm a history nerd. I read that in the footnotes of my study Bible that carried God me for our first wedding anniversary. And I commenced to cranking on this thing and by even, even the most radical estimations, it had been somewhere around 483 to 487 years from this prophecy to the time Jesus was born. Now, I don't know about y'all, but in that moment, I went, <laughs> I probably got up and put a new dip in. I was still dipping scold in. and I probably refreshed that bad boy and dove back in. I just remember my mind being blown. Now listen, we can discuss these things and debate them, but do you see the point? The point is God had appointed the amount of time and told his people it's on a clock 
Don't you lose heart. You might not understand the clock, but I do. Now, you can argue about, was it, was it figurative? Was it about Antiochus IV or Epiphanes IV, uh, rather? Uh, is it 409? Hey, I'm going to tell you, it was about one of them, if not all of them. But I'm going to tell you what it was about. Jesus was coming. And he had appointed a time. And it laid out a scheme of events and said, just watch. He's coming. I saw that evidence, and it rattled me in the best possible way. And what does he say here? The fullness of time come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Do, do, do you see all this born of a woman? A strange phrasing. That's that virgin birth that's been promised all the way back in Genesis 3, reaffirmed in Isaiah 7, uh, Isaiah 9. I mean, he, this, the, the, the details are so wild. For this to even be possible, there would have to be a God. And I started seeing it, man. You ever seen that meme where the lady has this strange look on her face and all the mathematical figures are flying around her head? Well, mine are more like little cartoons, but they are flying around. Brothers and sisters, dear friends, do you see that in this passage, Paul was saying, guys, he gave you the law, cool, it was a great guardian, it was a great teacher, but he gave us himself. And there's no better teacher. And he sent forth his son. And not only was, she, was he born of a woman, but he was born under the law. I don't know about y'all, but it's hard for me to, to keep the law all the time. I mean, even like traffic laws. My wife is real sweet. She'll say, huh? what's the speed limit here? She, she knows what the speed limit is. She's never asking me what the speed limit is. What she's saying is, yeah, you, you, you're getting it. I'm trying to get better. We've been together 30 years, 30 years in a few months. I'll say, man, this is how I say it. I probably ought to slow down. That's how I say I'm growing. I'm growing, y'all. I had a cop ask me one time, I said, why was you driving this fast? I said, I was speeding up till I saw you. So like, the better question would have been, how fast was I going to go? We'll never know now. He gave me a ticket. Listen, it's hard to keep the law. That's another thing the law teaches us, okay? It's hard to keep the law, and the law shows us it's hard to keep the law. So what does he do? He, he, he gives somebody so amazing he kept all the law so that all the lawbreakers could be lawfully adopted. Woo! I don't want to get off subject too much, but I've been to a few orphanages, and I'm not built to go to orphanages. You know, some people see stray cats and want to bring them all home. I see stray cats and go, look, stray cats. But when I see orphan children, honestly, it tears me to pieces. I sat in one in Lviv, Ukraine one time and cried all afternoon. I literally was dehydrated. No kidding. And they were trying to talk to me. I was on a mission trip with some friends from Bears Grove Baptist Church. They were trying to talk to me. I couldn't even talk. I just kept. I just, see, see, God says, listen, listen, the law is good. You know, the law is good. It, it'll, it'll somewhat keep you safe. It'll, it'll make you have enough sense not to burn the house down with your balloons. It, it'll, 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 it'll give you a rule. Don't put your hand under the lawnmower. 
right? But I got so much, something so much better. I want to give you my life. I want to bring you into my family. And there's no way you can even keep these good rules, okay? They're good. There's no way you can keep them. But I'll keep them for you so I can satisfy them. And no accusation can come against me as I step in and adopt you. Thirdly, lastly, quickly, I know I keep saying that. It feels like a lie at this point. It probably is. Listen, uh, there's a little note about tonight, okay? The Bible says, be ye not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Ghost. So when y'all go out to party tonight, get a couple bottles of Holy Ghost. And you got plenty of time to go shopping before, okay. Anyway, <laughs> lastly, very quickly, now, 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 after all that, now, in Christ, the believer perpetually celebrates and enjoys the rights and rewards of sonship. The scripture says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Do you, do you see what it's saying? God has sent his spirit into you, and the spirit in you is crying out to God because you don't know how to cry out to God, and he's teaching you how to cry out to God. You remember the, 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 the story Jesus told, the, 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 the religious leader goes into the temple, and he says, thank you, God, that I'm not like everyone else. I've kept these rules. That man thought he was in college. He was in preschool. Meanwhile, there's a guy at the back who just beat his chest, which is a sign of deep anguish. And he says, have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinner. The Holy Ghost was helping that man cry out. He wasn't checking his rule keeping. He was crying out for his relationship wanting. How many of y'all got cats? Who's got cats? Wow, I didn't know we were a cat church. We, we got a couple of rescue cats. See, when I see a stranded cat, I don't go, oh, look, stranded cats, let's take them home. But my daughters, if something happens to me, it's going to be a cat farm over there. I'm telling you. We have one cat that, something wrong with that cat. It's emotionally disturbed. It's got some kind of food insecurity. You know what I'm saying? Like, if no food in the food in the bowl, it's just crying out. And almost every day I talk to this cat. Like, you go into 6 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, till you feed this cat. She is at the door, outside. Meow, meow, meow. And it's as annoying as listening to a Joe Biden speech. But more sensible. I didn't say that. For God forgive me. And I'll come outside, and I, and I, I talk to the cat. And I know the cat is born in Virginia and speaks English. But it has no reason skills. I say, you know we're going to feed you. Stop acting like this. This morning, I'm taking stuff to the car. I go back to the house. This cat is stone cold tripping. I think about killing it. <laughs> I, I have guns. I'm like, what's wrong with you? You know what bothers me is the cat just don't believe in the relationship yet. They just don't. We had this cat two or three years, Amy Katie. And the cat, you give the fill the bowl up, she eat a couple of mouthfuls and walk away going, well, I'm glad we took care of that. 
They weren't even hungry. They just felt insecure. Okay. You, you know, as a pastor, um, I say this with all love. I've heard it a few cats. And I think what God would like us to see in the incarnation is the meal isn't you thinking you've got all this figured out. The meal is he came to us. He came to us. And even then, his example wasn't enough. What does he say? I put my spirit in you because I'm going to teach you to call on your dad. I'm going to teach you to stop looking at the rules as a reference to whether you're okay. And I'm going to show you you're never okay. You always need your father. So we get to purposely, per, per, forever celebrate, perpetually. Who wrote this sermon? Perpetually celebrate and enjoy. Like we can say, man, that's good. You know, uh, I think it was, it might have been Kelly. Kelly, uh, now, my, I think it was you, Kelly, going back and forth on Instagram. The elf thing, who, who likes that movie, Elf? But whether I like it or not, I'm watching it every Christmas Eve. Katie. And, and they tell him, he's in the, the, uh, the shopping store, and they say, Santa's coming. He goes, Santa's coming! I know him! And I, I, I feel like that, honestly. When, when people want to start talking to me about God, you know, I, don't, I already know that. I don't feel that way. I'm like, I, yes! Let's talk about him! Or to put it in the way I usually say, let's go! I'm here. Come on. Why? Why? Because I am no longer a slave. Trying to do enough to get in. I'm a son who already has a seat at the table. I know him. Furthermore, if I'm a son, then I'm an heir. Good cookity moogity. Barbara Chuck loves to tell people that I'm I'm one of her extra sons. We're gonna find out when that inheritance rolls out. <laughs> See, she's talking all that garbage. We're gonna find out. See, I got a feeling right now it's a brag, you know what I'm saying? Barbara, I hope you're listening. I need Roger's old car. Okay. Dad, happy anniversary, mom and dad. <laughs> it's the anniversary today. <laughs> hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, listen, I, I need to just stop. I, it's so much more. I told you, it's dangerous for me to open Galatians, right? Brett, you know. You know, right? It's so good. What's this got to do with Advent at the, in the fullness of time God sent forth his son? Why? Why? For the adoption. It wasn't just to get the father to chill. That's called propitiation. We didn't need that. We needed the wrath of the father appeased. But then it was also to bring us into the household of God. So being in the household of God, we could say, I know for sure my daddy's not out to smush me. That's the theological term, Casey, smush. Right? 
So believer, believer today, are you celebrating and enjoying your rights and rewards as a child of God? The first one is, be sure of this, in Christ Jesus, he's not looking to eradicate you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But be sure of this too, he wants you to have the full enjoyment of his child. Sit at his table, enjoy his favor, be on mission, serve in his kingdom. That's the whole bit. And he came to keep every rule so that he could adopt rule breakers. Hallelujah, man. Hallelujah. Do you know him today? The Bible says there's this really bad news. Here it is. The wages of sin is death. No one has sought after God. But God sought us. He came in the flesh. He lived righteous, died sacrificially, was actually crucified, truly died, was really buried, and on the third day rose from the dead. So he's, he's conquered death, and he's killed the penalty of sin. Okay? He has wiped out the need for us to try to build a ladder to heaven because he came down to hide us in himself. What do we do? We believe by faith that what Jesus has done and who he is is not only necessary to please God, but sufficient to be adopted by God. Do you know him today? You don't? What do you do? You repent of not trusting him. You profess faith in him. And somewhere pretty quick, follow through with, re with requesting baptism. And then say, I want to learn how to walk with Jesus. Would some of you brothers and sisters of mine help teach me how to walk with him? How to know what the spirit is doing in me, what the word has to say to me, how I can be on mission. Would you help me grow in my faith? And if you know him today, Man, there's no better way to end 2023 as we flip a calendar page than to celebrate and enjoy your position. I'm going to pray, and what are we going to sing, Michael? What are we going to sing? The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, that one? Praise God. The altar's yours. I'd be glad to pray with you. If I can do anything to help you in your journey, let me know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Forgive me if I have belabored in the flesh and gotten in the way. Holy Ghost, you're bigger than all of my brokenness. I pray you pierce us all the way past our bones to our very soul and cause us, cause us to see this beautiful, beautiful faith that was given to us we celebrate. We celebrate your coming. Why? Because you came to deliver. To cause us to see clearly what this season's about, more importantly, cause us to know the one who came. In Jesus I pray, amen.